Hallelujah. From the place that really matters, and that is where you're seated with Him in heavenly places in Christ. It's a wonderful thought. The blood covenant, part 12. Endurance. Everyone say endurance. endurance. I'm going to preach about endurance this morning. I'm going to take my opening text from Romans chapter 4 and verse 18 about Abraham. And Abraham, of course, is the first one that God came to and initiated the blood covenant with Abraham. And he made some promises to Abraham, and they were, they were, pretty, uh, they were pretty extensive promises, pretty amazing promises that he would have a son and out of that son would come many children that would be so numerous that they would be more than the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore. And if that wasn't enough, the fact is that he was 75 years old when the Lord told him. His wife was 65 and then to add, add more to it, she was barren. They had no children. So um, things weren't working in the, uh, in the reproductive department. But God said, you're going to have more children, hallelujah, than anybody else. Glory to God. Somebody missed an opportunity right then to say, praise the Lord. Because Isaiah says, more are the children of the desolate than the married wife. You know, you think, oh, I'm alone. I don't have anybody. I don't have anything. You're kind of like that lame guy at the pool of Bethesda when Jesus walked up to him and said, uh, all the people were laying around waiting for the waters to be stirred by the angel of God. And the Lord Jesus said, um, would you like to be healed? And he said, well, I don't have anybody to help carry me into the water. He said, "You forget the water. He said, do you want to be healed? I'm here. Do you want to be healed? And he took him by the hand and raised him up. And so more are the children of the married than, than, the, than the desolate. Um, and that should be a reason to shout praise the Lord. Because whatever your circumstances that you're up against, that you're up against it, um, praise the Lord, it's nothing more than your own uh, version of those things. That uh, it doesn't matter what you don't have and other people do have. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you'll ever need. And so this, is, this little scripture is taken out of the 18th verse, Romans 4. It's about, it's about uh, God's blood covenant promise with Abraham and he made Abraham a really beyond reason, just beyond comprehension promise. Um, and it were, he really took that promise when he made it to Abraham and he put it out of the reach of hope. There was no rational reason for Abraham to even hope that what it was that God had said to him could possibly come to pass. So with that as a background, um, Paul's writing about Abraham, and he says in the 18th verse, Romans 4, against hope. I love the way that starts. What a starting point. Hallelujah. Against hope. Abraham believed in hope or believed through hope with the result that he became the father of many nations according to the pronouncement God had made, so will your descendants be. So I want you to capture these three, these three items here. He is, he is outside the realm of hope when it comes to God's promise being fulfilled. There's no reasonable hope available. Yet, he chooses to believe in hope. He, he has hope when there's no reason to have hope. It's irrational. 
And the result was he became what God said about him. So if you've got that, if you have that, that, you have that grasp, um, then I pose this question to you. We'll just take off with this message from here. Um, or, or this point, rather, not, not really a question, but just a point. Your becoming, what God has called you to be, what you are going to become, depends on your faith's endurance. Not whether you have faith, or not whether you understand the, the biblical technologies of faith, but when it really comes down to it, not only Abraham, but, but just pretty much every child of God that's really walked with God and had the Lord put a vision before, like he does with all of us, it's always put outside of the realm of hope. And it literally depends upon your endurance as to whether it's going to come to pass or not. That same verse in the New Living Translation says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. The Amplified Bible puts it like this. For Abraham, human reason for hope, being gone, hoped in faith that he should become the father of many nations as he had been promised. So, the question then is, when God makes us a promise, how long must we hold out hope waiting for its arrival? Someone, I heard someone say, till it comes. That's good. The problem, the problem, if it is a problem, um, is that between the point where we receive the promise and when it comes, there is quite a stretch of territory. And quite a stretch of ground. And somewhere along the line, hope dies before that answer comes. Are you listening to me? The question being, how long do we hold out hope when God has made a promise? Um, how long do we wait for its arrival? Well, according to the New Living Translation, as I, as I read to you, you wait beyond the point where there's no reason for hope. The Amplified Bible, you, you wait past the point when human reason for hope is gone. Now, many people receive, uh, don't receive or fail to receive what God has promised them because they quit too soon. And all of us have, are guilty of it. We've all done that. Um, we quit too soon. Uh, we don't receive what God's promised because when hope dies... We die. Are you listening to me? When hope dies, we die. Because the loss of hope is when life is over. When hope's gone, life is over with. But the blood covenant offers something that outlasts hope, that survives beyond hope, beyond the death of hope. And that's called endurance. The blood covenant offers endurance that outlasts reasonable hope. In Hebrews chapter 10, the scripture says, Don't throw away your confidence because it has a great reward. You need endurance in order to do God's will and so receive what He has promised. For just a little longer, just a little longer, and he who is coming will arrive 
and will not delay. Isn't that awesome? Why? Why? And let's develop the question. Why does God stretch the answer to the promise beyond the life expectancy of reasonable hope? Because it sure seems like he does. Could anybody just raise a hand and go, you know what? I, I have to say, I have experienced that. And if you, if you haven't, just wait a while. Jesus, Jesus stood up to hopelessness. Listen to me. Jesus stood up to hopelessness. Hallelujah. I mean, what is the resurrection if not the defiance of hopelessness? Every reasonable hope died with Jesus on the cross and went with him into the grave. Is there anything more agonizing? Think with me about something you have hoped for and it has just melted as you were holding on to it. Slipped through your fingers. It's in the rearview mirror. Hope has died. You're no longer alive relative to that expectation. You no longer expect it. You've given up. You're kind of like maybe Sarah at 65 years old laughing or she was actually, I guess at that point, um, she was about 91, when the angel of God said, I'll be back this time nine months from now, and your wife's going to have a baby. And she's kind of laughing and snickering in the doorway of the tent. I mean, that is, that is where you're at as you stand up and see hopelessness in the rearview mirror. Uh, uh, Hope in the rearview mirror. You've gone past it. There is nothing to hope for. The time is past. So as I said, every reasonable hope did die with Jesus. It is, there's really uh, no pain, no sorrow, no agony like looking at your life's dream dying in front of you. And it's going away, and you're, you know you're never going to experience that thing that you've dreamt for. You're never going to be that person. You're never going to have that experience. You're never going to obtain those goals. It is agonizing, and, and it's probably the number one reason why most people leave this world in a kind of agony of regret of having never really done the things that they felt they wanted to do. I hope you and I can drive our stake our claims take into the blood covenant today and say, that's not going to be me. I'm not going to leave this world in agony, having, having to watch my dreams and ambitions in the Lord die in the rearview mirror, hope being gone. Because really, there's nothing quite as agonizing. You can endure all kinds of pain, but the, the pain of the death watch of our hopes and dreams is the worst kind of pain. But God's covenant promises ransacked death and came out of that tomb with Jesus. Hallelujah. Think of those women that stood by and watched him as he breathed his last. And the disciples, perhaps, from afar, how they were just crushed. They were probably staggering around like dead men for the next couple of days just dead inside. As I said, when hope dies, life is over with. If you've ever felt truly in the grips of hopelessness, you know the feeling that there is no life in you. 
you feel like you're dead, you just haven't fallen over yet. But bless God, all those hopes that died on the cross and were buried into the tomb, three days later, Jesus brought those hopes out of the grave with him. Hallelujah. And the joy and jubilation absolutely overwhelmed the brokenheartedness of hopelessness. Because there's something, there is something greater than hope. And it's in the blood covenant, and it's called endurance. When hope is dead, take hold of endurance, because endurance has a hold of the promises of God. Can you say amen? amen. There's something that can survive and outlive the death of hope. It's endurance. When hope slips through your grasp, reach out and take from the Holy Spirit the spirit of endurance and hold on to it because she'll bring you to the promise of God when hope has given up and fallen by the wayside. Can you say amen? amen. In the Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk writes, Then the Lord answered me and said, Record the vision. Write it down on tablets so that the one who reads it can run. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. It hastened towards its goal and it will not fail. Though it tarries. How many of you know what tarrying? Though it waits. Though it tarries. Though the vision tarries. Wait for it. It will certainly come. And it will not delay. Well, it certainly seems like it's delaying. Um, but as they say, and it's, it's more than a quip, delay is not denial. Right. Hope lives on the breath of the clock. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. As time stretches on, what does the Bible say? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope watches the hands of the clock. Hope watches the coming and going of circumstances, the opening of opportunities and the shutting down of opportunities. Hope notices when um, opportunities are put on the table and hope falls to pieces as it watches those opportunities removed from the table. And when Jesus was taken off the table, there was no reason to hope anymore. In fact, the disciples were actually just a little bit snippy and a little nasty and on edge. When the women came running from the tomb and said, the tomb's empty, they not only didn't believe them, they were irritable. And you could understand, because dead people get irritable. But Habakkuk says, God says to the prophet, write this vision down. By the time it comes to pass, you'll be dead and gone. But those that read it in the future will get up and run under the strength of this vision. Write it down. Make it plain. It may outlast a few people, but it's coming and it will come to pass. Hallelujah. Now look, I don't know why visions and dreams tarry. I don't know what delays the arrival of God's promises. I really don't. But this one thing I do know is that 
there's something transformative that occurs as hope is dying and hands the baton off to endurance. Something transforms within us. Something takes place. With the death of hope, a lot of stuff in us peels off and falls away. Have you ever stood, we use, like to use that term, I'm standing for God's promise concerning this. The longer you stand, the more honed your expectations fade. Your plan B's fade. As hopelessness sets in, you give up your plans and your options. But when you lay hold of endurance, it reinstates God's faith in that hope. But it takes you through a process that strips you of all of the options so that you can say with David, one thing have I desired, and that also will I seek. You know, when it gets to the point when everything distills down to the one thing, that's when you have gone from hope to endurance. That's when you're no longer hoping, but you are just flat out enduring. I don't know why I'm standing, but it's because God has said, and I don't see how it can come to pass, but I know God hasn't told me that He's changed His mind. And this is what the Word of God says. Somebody say, praise the Lord. I'm telling you that the spirit of endurance went right through the cross, went right into the tomb, and came out the morning of the third day. Endurance shakes off hopelessness. It laughs in the faith face of lack and of circumstances it knows only one master and that's master Jesus endurance yields only to the word of God endurance doesn't let up doesn't back down it doesn't get discouraged endurance stands because it stands like a century before the face of God. When you get a hold of endurance, hallelujah, you'll outlast all of your fair weather friends. Can you say amen? amen. Though it tarries, wait for it. It certainly will come to pass. Amen. I don't know why the dreams tarry. I honestly don't. I don't know why God's promises are delayed, except that perhaps God is bringing us into a state of endurance. In the hand of endurance, we are like the pot on the potter's wheel in the book of Jeremiah. The Bible says that the potter, who is God, formed the pot. And he brought it up and he brought its sides up and he hollowed it out. And when he was finished, the scripture says there was a flaw. It was marred in the hand of the potter, in God's hand. God deals with us. He forms us. He moves in our life. But still, there's imperfections in us. And so the scripture says God basically shrugged it off and said, no problem. He squashed it back down again, pressed out the air pocket, brought it back up on the wheel, and then it was perfect. You see, endurance is not going to quit until you're ready to receive. Endurance isn't going to let go until you're at the level of the promise. Hallelujah. 
You see, God has got to get you to let go of all of your other options. God strings, if I could pardonably, I hope I don't get in trouble with the Holy Spirit afterwards, but He strings us along. Not that He's going to pull from our mouth that morsel, that promise that He's promised, but that He's pulling out of our life. All of the, well, if this thing doesn't work out, I can always go back to fishing. If Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, we can always go back to Galilee. Are you listening to me? Hey, if this doesn't, if this doesn't work out, uh, if the assurance of his word doesn't work, I've got some insurance. I can, I can go and insurance will cover it. During that time, that we are transitioning into just nothing but endurance, our vision begins to change. It begins to hone. Competing desires fall away until the only thing that matters is what God has said. I kind of think that the Lord needs to bring us to that place. Can you say amen? By the time that promise arrives, the transforming hand of endurance has prepared and elevated you to the place where you can receive it. Again, that scripture I read in Hebrews chapter 10 says, you need endurance in order to do God's will and so receive what is promised. And I'm going to stand before you today and be perfectly honest. Why should I be different than anybody else? I'm certainly not. I know the things in me that need to be pressed out, that need to, that uh, in endurance, I need to um, continue until those things are stripped away. The times are in God's hand, but he who promised is faithful, and he will not abandon his promise. Can you say amen? You see, endurance, my friend, is more than a test of worthiness. It's the process of elevation. It's the strategy for fulfillment. Endurance is not just God poking you and turning you over the fire until you're worthy of the promise. You were worthy the day Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. The righteousness necessary to grant you His promise was in His Son, not in you. So holding out the promises of God, causing us to have to walk and endure... It's not because God is trying to bring us to a point where we're worthy. It's because the process brings us into elevation. There's too much baggage. The Bible says to run the race, you've got to cast off the weights. You've got to set aside the things that are a drag on your life so that you can run this thing. How That prize is in front of you. You're going to make it. You're going to get it. But you might have to loosen some baggage. To get to it, can you say amen? amen? You see, endurance is a strategy for fulfillment. Hallelujah. It's not just a, a divine game that, that God is playing. So the question is, and, and we're going to kind of bring this to a, a close and a, re, and, a, and a result, a response. Since endurance is necessary to receive what God has promised, what is it that we should be enduring? What does the Bible say that the believer, that you and I must endure? In 2 Timothy 
Paul wrote, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, endure hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man who entangles himself in the affairs of this life, uh, excuse me, no man who wars or fights in war entangles himself in the affairs of this life so that he can please the one who has enlisted him to be a soldier. And so here we must endure hardship to avoid entanglement in the world. Some of the things that God has promised us that he wants to bring us to we have to pass the entanglement of the world to get to that place where we can receive them. And that means going through some hardship. Some Christians got saved and they got saved under the wrong message. Somebody told them, it's going to be, I'll tell you, you walk with Jesus, you're walking on easy street. He's going to deliver you out of every situation. There's not going to be any battles. Well, if there's not going to be any battles, what's all this armor and business that, that Paul writes about? Uh, if there's no battles, what's the fight, the good fight of faith? Is that just so we can go prancing around the sanctuary singing victory songs about battles that real people fought? Back in the, back in the Old Testament or the sacrifices that disciples made that we can, we can dance and prance around, sing about it, and, and bless God, we'll just get the same results they did. Oh, <laughs> I don't think so. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life for Peter and Paul, and he's the same way and the truth and the same life for you and I. So we must endure hardship. You know, we need, we need to toughen up some believers today if we are going to make it. You've got to be willing to endure. What is enduring hardship? It means going through it and staying a Christian. Later on in 2 Timothy, Paul writes again, For the time is going to come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. I mean, every generation has seen it. We certainly see it today. We must endure sound teaching if we're going to avoid deception. That is part of the process of endurance. One of the reasons why people are not receiving is they don't have the patience to learn the Word of God. They don't have the patience to hammer out the doctrine of Scripture. And I'm not talking about spending time buying all kinds of books about the latest little insignificant, minute, in-the-corner detail that somebody figured out or found out. I'm talking about middle-of-the-road meat and potatoes stuff, basic discipleship stuff, um, you know, taking and learning things that you can do on a Tuesday morning. I talk to a lot of people, and every once in a while I run into somebody who they think they're just on a diet of, oh, they're in the word learning stuff, and I listen after a while to what they're saying, and they can't do any of what they're saying. Because it's just all up there in the nether world. It's, all in, it's stuff they're never going to encounter in their life. They're majoring in the minors. 
The Bible says endure sound teaching because sound teaching can be boring. Everybody wants, you know, the secret that's going to unlock the mystery. And it's going to, oh, I, I, I want that. They don't want to pay attention to the lessons that involve putting one foot in front of the next or fighting the fight of faith or being faithful or endurance. But people that endure are people that ha not only have but continue their education in the Word of God. They never think of it as boring. I have, well, I was going to say, I have read the same four Gospels over and over and over and over and over and over and over so many times. In fact, I've got this habit where my little daily reading thing is I just go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Proverbs, Psalms, and then whatever else I want to take off on. But I keep those in my Rolodex. Some of you people that are older remember a Rolodex before we had phones. And that's my little flip chart. And I have to slow my mind down because when I'm reading in Mark chapter 4 about the sower, I'm just, re my mind's racing ahead. Brrr, I'm quoting it before I can even, my eyes will read it. I'm just brrr, like that. And I have to physically slow myself down. Say, shut up, Nick, and read this like you're reading it for the first time. That's, that is what is meant, that is what is meant, endure sound doctrine because you didn't get it the first time you read it and you're not going to get it the 50th time there's more each time and besides that how many of you like a good steak amen i see some hands flap of course i know this is the 21st century so i should say how many of you like a good cucumber but since i have the pulpit we'll be using steak the next person up here might be talking about salad, but for now, it, yeah, broccoli, Brussels sprouts. So, but at any rate, how many of you like a good steak? Have you ever had a good steak? Those that raised your hand? Do you think you'll ever have another one? You see, nobody who's had a good steak, if they love steak, says, well, I've done that. No, you're going to go back to Outback Steakhouse and have another and another, why you'd, you'd be there every day if you could. Why do we treat the doctrine of God's word any differently? Yeah. Oh, I know it. I mean, if my mind is racing ahead, then I've already known. Let me find, let me read something I don't know. Let me read the index. <laughs> Let's move on. What else must we endure? This one's good. I like this. 2 Timothy 4 and 5 says, be self-controlled in all things. Well, I tell you, because we don't raise our children to be self-controlled, we have Ritalin. We have Xana. What, what are the drugs? I don't know. There's a lot of them. A lot of them. They say that 25% of the youth in our country are medicated. I know that 50 years ago that was not the case. I know. I was there. That was not the case. But today, why is it that we medicate? Now, I'm sure, I know there's a lot of fancy answers to that. But in there somewhere, I think one of them is there's no self-control. It's been replaced by self-indulgence. 
There is no self-sacrifice. There's no curbing of oneself. There's no training. There's no competition being put in front of children and told, well, you know what, if you train, if you do your best, you might make it. If you don't, you're going to have to go back and train some more and you try it again. No, you don't get a prize because you lost. You get, you get the back of the line. That's what you get. There's your incentive to try better again. Go home to your mom and dad. They're the ones who are going to encourage you and pat you on. We need encouragement, but we don't encourage people by rewarding their failures. Comforting Christians and encouraging them to move forward is not moving the goalpost because that's just cruel. That promise is not going to arrive until we rise up to it. And, and we need to stop lying to people. Be self-controlled in all things. Endure hardship. Do an evangelist's work. Fulfill your ministry. How many Christians started and quit because it got hard? How many Sunday schools across America have teachers that walked out after six months or years said, I can't take these kids no more. I've done my thing. Are you listening to me? And if God put you there, why are you walking away? When he didn't say walk away. See, what, what happened? Hope died. When you went in, you were full of expectation. Oh, I'm going to go in. This class is going to be awesome. I'm going to teach these little kids. I, I know exactly. I've got my stuff lined up. It's going to be wonderful. And then you, you, laid, you did all your stuff, and they're still acting up. You did everything, and they, they, they're still pro they're the, the same problems are there six months, a year later. So, all right, hope that you were going to be the teacher of the year has faded and slipped away. And so with it, there you go, right out of the, right out of the thing God called you to. People quit too early. They quit when God hasn't told them to quit. They quit because someone didn't shake their hand in church. They quit because someone didn't smile at them. They quit because someone said something weird to them. They quit because the pastor didn't pay attention to them. They quit when God hasn't called them to quit. They quit because things started going the way they don't like them to go. Has it ever occurred to us that God has a process to build endurance into you? It wouldn't be endurance if it was easy. Now, am I preaching good or what? I don't know. I'm not hearing much. That's all right. That's all right. Holy Ghost is on my shoulder. He's telling you it's all right. I got you. The final one I'd like to share with you of things that we have to endure is, is found in Peter. If you liked the last one, you're going to really love this one. 1 Peter 2.19. For this finds favor with God. If because of conscience towards God, someone endures hardships in suffering unjustly. Oh, we do not. We don't mind suffering when it's glorious, but we do not like to suffer unjustly. They're wrong. I'm right. Why am I being blamed? Why am I being talked about? Why, why am I going without supper? How, why am I the person? This is unjust. We have such a heightened sense of personal justice. We become inflamed when things don't go our way. And we do it right in our own home. We do it between husbands and wives. We just get indignant. If we have to take the blame for something and it's not our fault. Well, 
<laughs> and then we go pray, oh Lord, you know, make them, turn them around. God said, I'm trying to turn you around. I'm trying to turn you around. Listen to me, listen to me. I think Jesus suffered unjustly. I think Jesus was accused of some things he wasn't guilty of. In fact, and not only did he suffer it with dignity, he suffered it with love. Father, forgive them. They know not what they say. You, on the other hand, that blankety-blank, and it's your wife you're talking about. It's your husband. And not only that, you're out to lunch talking about them. Are you listening to me? You're bad-mouthing your situation and complaining to others. See, God knows you are not ready to get what He has promised. His promise is still a little ways, a little out of reach. This finds favor with God if because of conscience towards God, someone endures hardship in suffering unjustly. So what else must we endure? We must endure wrongful suffering to find favor with God. We can run around and sing about finding favor with God, but the scripture says there are certain qualities about how we conduct ourselves that really actually produce favor with God. We don't have favor with God because we run around and claim favor with God. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get any hallelujahs. But for me, that was a high point in the message right there. We don't get favor with God because we run around and claim I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, I'm not belittling that. Thank God we are the righteousness of God in Christ. But if I am the righteousness of God in Christ... How do I prove it? I prove it by the way that I act. I prove it by shouldering injustice with dignity, without threats, without complaining, without belly aching, without getting angry and kicking stuff. I'm not preaching any, I'm preaching to me right now because I've got little scenes going off in my mind. <laughs> How bad do you want favor with God? Do you want God's favor? Would you like to not have to take another trip around that mountain? Would you like to enter into the promised land this go around? Do not be fooled. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we reap. Endurance outlasts hope because endurance has its hand on the promise of God. And endurance will let you be stripped of everything except the promise of God. Here's the altar call this morning. The same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, that lifted Jesus out of the tomb of hopelessness, that spirit lives in you. If you are broken this morning in some area of your life in a sense of hopelessness, I hope that you understand that not a single thing that I've said was meant to trivialize or to minimize the horrible pain and agony of hopelessness 
because I truly believe that real hopelessness, the death watch of a dream, is the worst kind of agony in life. It's that choking, inescapable drowning feeling. But endurance, endurance can pick up where hopelessness has left you. And that spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead is the spirit of endurance. Hallelujah. Think about it. Is it not the spirit of endurance? Did he not, did, did, did he not stand up to hopelessness? Did the promise not endure? The Holy Ghost is the spirit of endurance. And so this morning, if hopelessness has been threatening you, eliminating your options, introduce hopelessness to Jesus this morning because Jesus came out of that grave. Hallelujah. And he may be the last thing you're holding on to, but I guarantee you it's because he should have been the first thing that you held on to and let everything else go. Can you say amen? amen? This morning you may have to open up your hands and drop some things out of your life. You may have to come to the altar and say, you know what, I've been holding out for the promise of God, but I've, been, I've got these conditions I've got this plan B. I've got these evaluations, these, these ways that I think God's going to do it. You want God to answer His Word, and He is the God of His Word. But sometimes we have to give up the conditions that we've set before Him under which that Word will be fulfilled. Are we willing to do it? The Bible says, with His stripes we were healed. He absolutely meant it. It's not some imaginary thing. It is an actual thing. The promises of God are there. They are yes and amen in Jesus. And God wants more than blessing you. He wants to make you a blessing. There is a goal to endurance. And it's not just so that you can have everything God's promised, but so that you could be a reflection of His promise to the world as He was to the world. Close your Bible, stand with me this morning. As we prepare to pray, our prayer today is very simple. It's, Lord, I am going to refocus my mind. I'm going to refocus my life, my heart on you this morning. 